welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. It is good to be back. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Jeff Wildrick. I'm a transitional consultant working with the congregation in the session here. As you make the transition from one pastor who retired to an, another pastor who has yet to be determined. And uh, we're praying for the pastoral nominating committee. I know they are working hard. Don't ask me for any inside information because I don't have any. And, uh, but I do know that they are, are, are working hard to prayerfully find the pastor who God has already chosen uh, for this congregation. I, I want to tell you about a family from Kentucky, rural Kentucky, that decided to go to the big city for their vacation, and they ended up going into New York City, and they ended up at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. And I got to tell you, when they walked into the lobby of that hotel, they were amazed. They'd never seen anything like it. There were, were crystal chandeliers. There was you know, gold leaf on, on the woodwork. There was beautiful cushioned uh, chairs that people could sit in. It, there was a piano playing in the corner. And, and, and one thing that really caught their attention on, on one wall was a, a bank of, of elevators. And the little boy said, Pa, uh, what, what's that? And his father said, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. Well, about that moment, an elderly lady in a wheelchair rolled up to, to stand in front of the elevator. She pushed the button, and the doors opened. And they watched as she rolled into a tiny little room, and the doors closed behind her. And then the lights went up as, uh, above the elevator, and then the lights came back down, and when the uh, lights came back down, the doors of the elevator opened again, and there was a beautiful blonde. And the father said, boy, go get your ma. (laughs) If... (laughs) You know, if only change were that easy. But the reality is change is hard. The change that this church is going through, grieving the loss of an imperfect but beloved pastor, looking forward to the arrival of another imperfect and hopefully beloved pastor, and then this in-between time where everything seems to be in flux and and uncertain. And, And these transition times always bring a wide array of emotions for people. I mean, first of all, there's excitement. You know, something new is coming, and that's an exciting thing. And it comes with hope. You know, hope that that the future will be even better than the past. It comes with grief for that which has been lost and those who've been left behind. There's fear. What if things don't get better? What if... What if things get worse instead of better? Uncertainty. Who's in charge? Where will I fit in? And then, of course, when you have all of those feelings and the stress that comes with change, one of the other things that tends to pop up uh, in any place where change is going on is, is conflict. 
because, you know, there's that stress is, is hard to deal with. Now, the thing is, we can't stop change. Change is the only, one of the only constants in our life. But we can choose how we are going to handle it. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, said, you must have the added, same attitude that Jesus Christ had. So let me tell you a little bit, a story about attitude and the importance of attitude. The Israelites, this was thousands of years ago, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. There was no one there who remembered anything other than slavery. But then God, through a series of miracles, set them free from the oppression of slavery under the Pharaoh. He helped them to escape across the Red Sea, even though the army was pursuing them. And then when they got into the desert, you know, deserts are dry, desolate places. God miraculously provided food for them every single day. It was something called manna. And they would wake up and this manna would be on the, the ground around their tents and they could collect enough that it would feed them and they would be full every day. It was one of God's amazing provisions for his people. Things seemed to be going well. But then in Numbers 11, this is what we read. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. By the way, have you noticed altered memories? They were slaves. That's why it was free. And we had all the cucumbers and melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we, we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we see is this manna. And I can imagine them talking with each other about it. Oh, what did you have for dinner today? I had manna. How'd you do it? Oh, we had fried manna, boiled manna, manna fricassee, baked manna, manna for breakfast, manna for lunch, manna for dinner, manna for our midnight snack, manna cakes, manna pies, manna cooks, manna porridge, and manna cotti. <laughs> and the chorus of grumbling swelled. Well, it was this manna stuff. Well, Numbers 11 goes on. That manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. Then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. And, and you, you, if, if you've heard me speak before, you know I, I love to eat, right? You, I love good food. Listen to the description. The cakes tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. Wow. The manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. <clears throat> Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. And the Lord became extremely angry. And I love the little footnote that he puts in here. Moses was also very aggravated. <laughs> 
griping and grumbling and complaining <laughs> is, is just part of the human condition. And it's because you know, we are imperfect people. And uh, you, t- the internet has turned grumbling and complaining into, into an art form. Because on the internet, people have this anonymity. And so they say things to each other that they wouldn't maybe say face to face. It's, it's, it's gossip is what it is. We, I follow a couple of forums. You know, there's the ones who say, oh, government's too big. The next person says, no, government's you know, too small. And then someone else comes in. We, we're living in an RV park right now while I'm working here. And uh, the parks forum, somebody comes on and says, the RV park is terrible because they don't enforce the rules here. And then the next person comes up and says, this RV park is terrible. They are so strict about enforcing all of their rules. People love to complain. And it doesn't just stop in the world. There are times that complaining sleeps in, seeps, complaining seeps into, dare I say it, The church, dare I say, this church. Now, I know some of you are guests this morning, and I I, I wanna make sure you understand the context of this. See, in, in this church, we're not a bunch of good people who get together because we all like being good with each other so much. We are a bunch of, of, of sinners, just like everyone else in the world. And uh, we get together because we worship a Savior who loves us anyhow. So yeah, these things happen in the church. The problem, though, is that complaining is a sin. What did we read in Numbers 11? The Lord became extremely angry. It doesn't say the Lord became mildly irritated. It doesn't even say the Lord became angry. It's the Lord became extremely angry. At what? At the grumbling of his people. I don't want to be on that side of God. And it's a sin because it shows that we don't understand our great relationship with God. That God is the creator and the king And we're the creation. It shows that we have a sense of entitlement or a sense of pride or lack of gratitude. Not only that, but complaining hurts our witness. Paul reminded the Philippian church that they were to do everything without complaining and arguing. Why? So that no one can criticize you. So if, if, if you've got a reputation for being a person who can always find fault, if you are a person with a reputation that you act, always act as if you've been slighted, and you've got a chip on your shoulder, and you've got something to say something negative about, how effective are you going to be as you try to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ and invite others into a life-giving relationship with him. By the way, the the, the first cousins of of complaining and grumbling, 
is gossip. And by the way, gossip is often just a backhanded way of complaining, right? But instead of this, instead of this, we are to have the attitude, the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And if you look at the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ, I promise you this, you will never find a place where Jesus grumbled. When Jesus was misunderstood by his family, no grumbling. When the disciples argued over who was going to be the greatest, no whining. When the Pharisees questioned his messiahship, no complaining. When Peter denied him three times, no gossip. He didn't talk to anyone else about it. He only went directly to Peter. And when he was hanging from the cross, he looked at the Roman soldiers who had nailed him there and said, Father, forgive them. How do we gain the attitude of Christ? Because that's our goal. Well, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I want you to know that the words translated be thankful there, they're in the imperative. It's not a a suggestion. It's, It's a command. If you are truly a follower of Jesus, then here's something you need to do. You need to be thankful. As Christians, we have so much to be thankful for. We've been rescued from God's wrath. We have salvation from our sins. We have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We have God's word to guide us. We have fellow Christians who are a family for us. We have a home in heaven being prepared for us. We have a purpose for living. We have a hope for tomorrow and we have strength for today. Our past is forgiven and our future is secure. Praise God. If you can't think of anything to be thankful for this morning, you're you're, you're missing it. That's not to say you don't have problems. But we can be thankful in all things. The famous Bible scholar Matthew Henry uh, from the 19th century kept a diary every day and, you know, by good fortune, uh, we still have it. And this is what he wrote in his diary the day after he was robbed on the road. He was robbed of all the money he had in the world. He said, let me first be thankful for I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, let me be thankful because they took all I had, but it was not very much. And fourth, I'm thankful because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed another. In your own life, if you want to have the attitude of Jesus Christ, if you want to be part of the solution against grumbling and complaining, which, which, which makes God 
angry. Begin by replacing grumbling with gratitude. Now, that, that's about ourselves, but of course, we're, you know, you, if you're someone who grumbles a lot, you might think I'm not talking about you. So, how do we handle grumble and gossip by others? So, let me share a few suggestions. When you hear someone, and I'm speaking specifically within our, our, our faith family here, brothers and sisters in Christ. When you hear someone gossip and, and grumble and, and complain, it's, it's up to you as a brother or sister to firmly and graciously respond with God's word, with correcting. I mean, someone might come up to you and say, oh, I am really frustrated with so-and-so's attitude. They walk around like they own the place. And, and when they walk past me, they never give me a second look. What's the deal with her? And, and you might be tempted to say, oh, man, you're right. I, I feel the same way. I never noticed it, but she ignores me too. Boy, she must feel really special. But let me encourage you to reject the gossip. Indeed, instead of saying something, instead say, say something like this. Have you talked to her about this? Please don't drag me into your issues with her. You need to work this out, whatever it is. Why? Because you're a believer. I'm a believer. She's a believer. For the sake of Jesus Christ, you've got to work this out. This rejects the bait of complaint and sheds light on the issue. And, and by the way, if, if, have you ever noticed that as Christians, we all know we're not supposed to grumble, and we all know we're not supposed to, to, to complain, and we all know we're not supposed to gossip. This is not news to anybody here, right? But so, so we have code words. We just say, I've got something we need to pray about. <laughs> Let me tell you, whenever a prayer meeting turns into a gripe group, it's time for a change. It's time for an attitude adjustment. It's time for someone to speak up and say, you know, I, I, we've headed down the wrong road here. Let's pull back. If we can't say something that's to the person, then let's not say it at all. If it's not something to build somebody up, let's not tear them down. Wood without a fire goes out, the book of Proverbs tells us. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. And if the person or group won't listen, if they continue to gossip and, and grumble, I want to encourage you to walk away. The Bible says we are to flee from sin. Over the years, I have discovered that there are some churches that really attract complainers. And there are some churches where you go in and there's hardly any grumbling at all. And the difference is simple. Some churches fertilize it, and some churches treat it like fertilizer. <laughs> 
over the years, every church has dealt with difficult times and difficult times have always led to people who respond in unhealthy ways. But remember, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Sometimes you just got to walk away. Now, I want to circle back to where we began. Over the years, you folks here in Carmel have lost several beloved leaders, including a pastor who shepherded this congregation for 18 years. And for, for, for many of you, Rick might have been the only pastor you've ever had. And let's be honest here, there have been some hurt feelings and some mistakes and misunderstandings al along the way, but that doesn't take away the love. And it doesn't take away the grief of losing someone that you love. And you know that a new pastor is going to be coming, but you don't know who and you don't know when. It's, it's easy at times like this to kind of look back to Egypt and take our eyes off of God's promises and start grumbling about manna. I've, I've been here just about two months working with your church leaders, the, the elders who serve on session and the, uh, your staff to, to help clear the runway for a successful landing when your new pastor gets here whoever that is and whenever they come. And in my work with your leaders, I've, I've shared some things with them that I really want to share with you guys this morning, just so you understand how great a church you have and how blessed you are. Look, I've said this many times before. If I lived in Carmel or near Carmel, I'd come to this church. You're a church that has solid biblical theology. At Carmel Presbyterian Church, you know what you believe and you know why you believe it. That's something to celebrate. That's something to be grateful for, to be thankful for. At Carmel Presbyterian Church, you are a church with a, with a multi-generational ministry. I mean, you've got little kids here, you've got teenagers here, and by the way, congratulations for being a church that doesn't say that the teenagers are the future of the church. Guys, I want you to know what a blessing it is to be in part of a church that knows that you are the church. Amen. That's something to celebrate, it's something to be thankful for. The church is blessed with a large proportion of people who are highly skilled, spiritually mature, motivated, and available to participate in and lead church ministries. You got a strong congregation and gifted. And you got a great staff as well. Your staff are gifted. They are dedicated and they are passionate in their love for Jesus Christ and for his church. God has been exceptionally generous in equipping this part of his body for ministry. That's something to celebrate. That's something to be thankful for. This church campus, your facilities are, are beautiful. They are well-maintained. They are welcoming. They are, are versatile. I mean, this beautiful sanctuary 
You've, you've done it so well that when a person walks through, they immediately feel two things. They feel welcomed and they feel the presence of God. You've got this magnificent pipe organ. I know this service doesn't hear it that much, but let me tell you, it is a magnificent pipe organ. And yet, not just traditional worship, but this church has designed a, a chancel area that, that you can use for, for contemporary worship as well. And you've got gifted leaders for that worship service too. This is something to celebrate. It's something to be thankful for. And, and I know this gets a little bit touchy ground, but let me tell you something else great that you have in this church that most churches don't have. You have financial stability. Even though you know, worship, worship attendance has, has declined some over the, over the years, financial giving to God through Carmel Presbyterian Church is, remains strong. What does that mean? It means that your critical programs are getting funded, that the staff is being fairly compensated in relationship to the cost of living around here. There are financial resources within this congregation, although some of them are still in your pockets. There are financial resources here far greater than a church your size might expect. And that means that God can do big things through you also. That's something you can celebrate. That's something to be grateful for. Now, are there challenges here? Oh, you betcha. <laughs> but I'm glad to say that your leaders are also addressing those challenges prayerfully, diligently, and faithfully. When I say prayerfully, let me tell you that your elders and staff have set aside this month's session meeting. They're going to get together this week and spend all of that time in prayer and worship for the peace and health and vitality of this church. That is awesome. So that all of this together means that when your new pastor does come, you will be well equipped and perfectly positioned to move into the next chapter of this church's ministry. What I'm saying to you is that God has done great things here at Carmel Presbyterian Church. But God's best is yet to come. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. All right. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, especially when we, like the Israelites, so often find ourselves drifting into grumbling or complaining or, or gossiping. Lord, we pray that you will help us to, to have hearts that are aware of our own tendency to go down those roads. And that if we don't see it, that we'll have hearts that are open when someone else points it out to us lovingly so that we can go from grumbling to gratitude so that your name will be magnified, your name will be praised, your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.